Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. This season, we've learnt more and more about the journey of toddlers who are exploring a crazy big world. From finding ways to get your little ones to actually listen, to helping them navigate friendships and find confidence, this season we have learnt just how incredible their little minds are. And we know preschoolers have got a lot on their plate managing all these outside influences that come at them from every direction. Family's a big deal, and when they've hit preschool, they've got to handle their peers as well. And in today's world, where media is everywhere, with television, shows, apps and more, the number of external influences has multiplied. So how do we help them handle all these influences and make the best choices for our little ones? And what do we do when external influences have influenced them to do the wrong thing? This is How to Build a Human, Mamma Mia's podcast for parents of toddlers all about big play and big future. I'm Lee Campbell, an executive editor here at Mamma Mia, and I'm Alexander's mum, and his imaginary friend, Batman, influences him to do the wrong thing sometimes. <laughs> and I'm Jen Muir. I'm a parent educator, mum to four boys, and while I've seen my boys get excited and follow friends into trouble or influence others to get into trouble, the really good news about younger kids and preschoolers is that by far the biggest influence on them is us. Mm. And it can be a good thing and a bad thing because they are always watching. Oh, goodness. So, Jen, can you list the external influences that might surround a typical toddler or preschooler? What are they? So, there's a number of influences outside of us. So, we know that there's peers or friends, there's media and particularly advertising. So, anyone that lets their child on YouTube or anything mm. like that, we know that they're going to get access to advertising. But one of the biggest influences on our kids, which is kind of a good thing, is what we call a secondary attachment figure. So that's a grandparent or an educator or any other special figures in their lives that may not be their primary caregivers or their parents, but those people that are still really important. Mm. Now, they play a really profound role in those younger years because they can help reinforce the rules at home or the values Mm. that you're trying to teach, but they also often love our kids and they support the good in them as well. Mm. And then the other things that can influence our kids is, you know, I guess the school, the community, if you're part of a church or anything like that, those things can influence our kids. But the evidence is really, really clear that the number one influence on young children is their primary caregivers the sun, the moon, the stars orbit around us for them. And so we have the biggest influence until the tween and teen years and then we lose them. Interesting. (laughs) No pressure. No pressure. And what are the various type of external influences that can impact our children's development? So those secondary attachment figures play a really big role in impacting our kids' development. We know that when we study grandparents particularly and the role on young families, they play a really incredible role. They lower the incidence of depression and anxiety in the parents 
and in the children long term. Mm. So we know that just by having those figures around, it doesn't have to be a biological grandparent mm. if you don't have that. It could be a special neighbour that plays a role, you know, the adopted grandparent. Yeah. Or it can be teachers. We all know that a teacher in our lives growing up really impacted or shaped mm-hmm. us I in thought some of way. one straight away Did as you? soon as you said that. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So sometimes, you know, a teacher just says something about our creativity or about a skill or a strength that we have and that really sticks with us or guides us in some way and that can be really profound. So it's a really beautiful thing that these secondary influences can make a big difference. The other thing that can really influence preschoolers can be those wonderful things that they teach in preschool and at the daycares they're at. So sometimes the philosophies around recycling or caring for the environment or maybe around kindness and looking after friends are things that are being modelled at home but having that second influence on our kids' Mm. brains and they go out into their little world and they hear more about that or that's reinforced Mm. by that external world, that can make a really big difference in shaping and just consolidating that knowledge that we're trying to build at home. Alexander came home the other day and goes, Mummy, guess what I learned about today? It starts with M. And after I guessed half an hour of M words, it was pollution. And he's obsessed (laughs) about pollution now and littering and the ocean. And yeah, he's really engaging and listening to his teacher who he adores and learning because she's so engaging with him in the way she teaches teaches. I've had my kids come home and tell me, please don't put that banana bread in my lunchbox anymore. It's not a healthy choice. Interesting. Really? Oh, I love it. So it could be good and bad. Well, that's good. Can you elaborate on the positive effects that external influence such as families and peers, you know, cousins, aunties, uncles, school friends can have on our children's growth? I think especially in those moments as parents where we can get so caught up in the grind, we're working so hard on the end goal of creating a great human and grandparents can just walk in and connect right in the moment. They're not responsible for how that child turns out. They get to just enjoy them and they believe in them and they adore them kind of, you know, they just don't have to get as caught up. Mm. So I think they can cheer our kids on and really sometimes I've found there are times where my kids are going through, you know, whatever it is, sort of a time that's a bit tricky with friends or, you know, maybe they're refusing to try a new food and it'll be a grandparent that Mm -hmm. can get through sometimes where a parent can't. Mm -hmm. So I think they can play that really positive role. That's for me is my niece. So Alexander's cousin, she's 14 and he is enamoured by her. So An older cousin or niece, oh my goodness, can make such a... He will eat things around her that he's never touched before, but he just wants to impress her. And I'm I'm assuming that's a good thing. Yeah. So on the flip side, what are the potential drawbacks or negatives associated with external influences like media or technology on children's development? So um, hands up if you've had a child that suddenly wants a specific toy Mm. or something because they've seen an ad. And I think these days, because of the way we consume media, our kids don't watch as many ads as we did growing up. But those ads can still get through and depending on what we're allowing or sort of how much we're supervising, Mm. I found my boys suddenly want something that Mm. they've seen. My youngest son now knows how to go to the, you know, one of the toy companies online and search for what it is that he wants. He he goes, mum, can I add to cart? Does he? (laughs) I mean, thank goodness he doesn't have my credit card yet, but I let him add to cart. He's sort of learning how to become a little consumer, Mm. which look, that is an okay thing Mm. as long as we're aware that 
what our kids are consuming, you know, that's not necessarily focused on getting the best out of our child. That's mm. around, you know, selling stuff. So I think it's really important we have some guidelines around mm. what they're consuming in terms yeah. of media or we have a sense of what it is that they're watching and whether there is ads. Not all media is bad. And my youngest, so we're reading these little sort of graphic novel comic books to him at the moment. He's decided based on the fact we're sort of reading these books that he's going to be a famous comic book artist. Oh. And he's on to comic book number 16 and he's madly taping them up every night and getting so into that and I think that's a really nice side of that so I think you know it's about having a balance. For us it just depends on what we're watching for example Alexander will watch Cocomelon and the baby will have a lollipop so then he'll go I need a lollipop you know and that's not an ad but then that's for me as the adult to set the boundary because I can't protect him from ever seeing a lollipop in the world and so sometimes on media they will see things you know a cupcake but it's seven o'clock and it's time for bed and so I set that boundary so sorry there's one on the show but you can't have a cupcake yeah and we're the same right what about when you're watching tv and there's an ad for chocolate and then you're like I need that right (laughs) absolutely yeah no one's immune talking about media you know everything's media reading a book is a type of media yes that's right Um, and then yeah we might give our kid a tablet from time to time and they watch some youtube is there good and bad I mean, I've found my kids are just as influenced by the books they read as what they see on YouTube, but I have noticed that YouTube or media that's technically fast-moving and addictive Mm. in nature can be more consuming sort of in the moment and they can suddenly want something so much more and it can be so sort of powerful and that can limit their creativity, whereas sometimes what they read in a book can lead to them just going and making that up like my son with the comics and Mm. kind of being quite creative about I think I'm going to be a comic book maker. So I find that it can guide them in different ways. You know, my eldest I don't think saw his first ad of anything until he was like 10. He's like, what? I don't like this show. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Alexander says, not another ad, but now he knows how to skip them. Right. Yeah. No, my son was like, I don't know what's happening. I don't like this show at all. (laughs) Whereas my youngest, you know, obviously things slip in the house and he's consuming things that his older brothers might be watching. And Mm. so it's much harder and he's been exposed to much more. And it's Mm. really just about, I get it. You're seeing all these great things in the ads, but you know, we're not going to get all those things or we can put it down for your birthday. Sure. So speaking of external influences, you've touched on that primary caregivers are the key influence at this stage, but how can we use media like books to, I Mm. guess, show our kids diversity in the world that they might not get from their mum and dad? Is that a good thing? Yes, such a good thing. And it's so important. You know, it's so much better to read a book about diversity and show kids images of kids in wheelchairs or reading books about mental illness or anything that can sort of impact us as human beings. So much better to have read and talked about those things as often as possible Mm. before they see it in the world. And then they're just not understanding it because they've never seen it. So the more Mm. we can expose kids and encourage really open conversations about those things that we don't necessarily have going on in our home particularly, the better. So I think, you know, it's human nature to go, you know, screens are bad and that kind of influence Mm. is bad, but, you know, IRL interactions are good. But what if they have that really naughty cousin or, you know, they come across someone that's sinister and it's an external influence? How can we make those teachable moments or what do we do there? Can we protect them from bad external influences? Yeah, we can. And as parents, we need to really tune into our gut around someone. So they may even be friends around your child and you just notice that maybe they're not always kind. And, you know, yes, that's an opportunity for us to look at our child's social skills. But it's also like 
stopping and noticing and going, what's happening there? We can coach our child to become a bit of a an emotion detective or a social detective and sort of like, how does that person make you feel? And do they welcome you in or do they turn their back when mm. you kind of come close? And what do you think that means? What is a good friend? So we can talk about all that. It's really important not to so much talk about stranger danger as tricky people or mm. that no grown-up should make you keep a secret, mm-hmm. particularly. Really, really important. Talking to kids about that stuff and not just a grown-up, but yeah, like a cousin who wants you to do something or someone's doing something and maybe you don't feel good about it. How do you that speak is, up about that yeah. or come and get help? Yeah. So I think, again, it's about having really open conversations and when things do go wrong or your child is misled in the wrong direction to do something that maybe isn't kind or isn't what's within the values of your family, using that as an opportunity to coach after the fact and say, okay, so I can really understand why you want to impress your cousin or whatever. Mm. And that makes a lot of sense because they're older or whatever it is. But, you know, how did that make you feel when the impact of that was this and someone got upset? And then we're using that as, okay, what could we do next time? So again, just always patiently coaching through that. So do you think at that young age, they do have intuition if a person doesn't feel right or a situation doesn't feel right or an external influence isn't right. Do they have it at that age? I think they do, but we can teach them to ignore that intuition if we're focusing only on always be a good kid and always be polite and Mm. hug everybody and, and be that always compliant. And Mm. that's why it is so important that our kids can speak up, can say, I don't feel comfortable hugging that person or I don't always want to be a good kid. And so if we can make sure that's always an okay thing and keep reiterating that message that there's nothing your kids can't tell you is so, so important. So now we know what external influences are. We know that some are good. We know that some are bad. Let's talk practicality, my friend Jen. What are some practical ways to help our little ones manage all of them? How can we effectively address and handle negative phrases or tricky behaviours that our kids may pick up at daycare (laughs) or preschool? Remember I told you I'm a silly old man? (laughs) (laughs) And there's, there's worse, there's worse. So I think the biggest thing to know is that particularly in the first five years, we are by far and away the biggest influence on our kids. So we've got the upper hand here and it's about being really confident to know that we have to have a handle on particularly on boundaries and on limits and that ability to be really clear about what works and doesn't work. So one of the things we can set up in those younger years is that, you know, I know that in your friend's home, they're allowed to X, Y, Z, and this is what we're doing in our home. You can be upset about that, but I'm still able to hold that rule. Mm. That's going to be really, really important longer term because we eventually do lose that influence where they think the sun and moon revolves around us. And Mm. as my son says, we become cringe. So it's, (laughs) you know, it's really important to build that up. But the other thing is sort of knowing that kids will go through phases like, you know, bad language Mm. or certain things that they pick up from friends that they think is super funny. And I find just sort of leaning into that underlying feeling. So a child who's come home and they're acting in a way that feels maybe not like them and more like their friend and you feel like it's an external influence, Mm. I'd be leaning into like, obviously, you're really enjoying that friendship aren't you? And I can really understand. You have a lot of fun, don't you? Okay. Mm. And you can still be honest about, I don't particularly like that language or here's what the boundary is at home, but I really understand how excited you are. So be excited, enjoy it, but not that language in our house. Thank you. You know, that kind of thing. 
Okay, I've been doing that all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell who he's been playing with when he comes home. Anyway, how do we teach our children the difference between the behaviour of others and how they can choose to respond? That's yeah, a good one. 100%. So I love the idea of starting to talk to kids and I love the analogy of becoming a friend detective. So it's mm. one of the best things I sort of ever worked out with my boys was like, you're having a hard time. Maybe there are kids that are not treating your child right. And you want to go, don't play with those children. They're not nice to you, you know, and actually that's never going to get you anywhere because kids will butt up against that pressure and do the exact opposite of what we say. Mm. So instead we can just say, I want you to go to school and become a friend detective and have a look around. And I want you to notice who welcomes you in and who smiles at you. How do those people make you feel? We can ask our kids as we're driving along, what's a good friend? What do you think is a good friend? And we can talk to them about, do you think if you like really care about someone, you have to do everything they want you to do, for example. Mm. And I think that's a really, really powerful one. So, you, you know, if your friend, such a good friend, you know, that old saying that our parents would have said, if your friends jumped off the bridge, would you yep. go too? And I, yes. I would be like, hundred yep. percent, I would. Oh, oh. I, <laughs> If someone said jumped off the harbour bridge, would you too? I'm like, yes. probably. Yes, I would. Yes. yes. So we kind of instead want to look at how does a good friend make you feel? Mm. And there's a difference there because if a friend is saying, look, I won't be your friend if you don't jump off the bridge, mm. that's not, not a good friend. probably making you feel great. And yeah. so if we can slow down and tune our kids into how that makes them feel mm. and then asking them, you know, what about a friend that makes you feel good? Talk to me about what that feels like. And often with a little bit of that awareness, they can start to spend more time around the people that make them feel good and help them mm. to make those good choices. Because they're that tuning sort of into hoping. that energy, right? Yeah. And again, their intuition. The other thing we can do is teach children about consent through the way we set boundaries. So I often talk about the importance of that for us as parents. So when we say, darling, I love you to the moon and back and my answer's no, and you can be upset about it. I'm still going to hold my limit because it doesn't work for me to say yes. We are saying that we can be in relationship with someone. We can love someone completely and still not always want to do what they want to do. So what we're teaching them as they go into their social world is that they can absolutely care about their friend Mm. or really want to impress their friend and still not feel like they have to do everything that person they can hold their boundary. They get to hold their boundaries. So when we hold boundaries, the biggest gift we're giving our kids is the ability for them to hold their boundaries. Wow. So yep. me, the cookie. Yeah. It's teaching Alexander his own boundaries. Yes. Oh, Jen. That's the bigger picture. Yes, it's the bigger picture (laughs) and it makes it easier in the moment when doing it because you realise what a beautiful lesson it is. Because you're being authentic. And he knows he's so safe in that love with you, but you still can say no. Yes. That's real love. That's real love. Okay. What are some tactics for reaffirming the boundaries and positive language that parents and toddlers can use in their homes? Two big things. One, thank them as often as you can. Thank your children. This morning I had a shower and I realised there was no towel and I had to beg my youngest who was busy in his comic book writing Mm. to get me a towel Mm. and he didn't want to go. But Mm. I was like, Harry, like I really need your help. Can you get me a towel? And he did it and he came in and he handed it to me and I said, thank you so much. You saved the day. You know, he had a big smile. So thanking them whenever you can can make such a big difference in teaching them this stuff. Mm. And the second thing is boundaries, but they've got to be clear and kind. And so what we want to do is always think if I'm setting a limit and there's no clear or there's no firm, I'm off track. If Mm. I sound all sort of weak and if I'm setting a limit and it's all firm and there's no kind, which Mm. happens, I've got to reflect on that and go, okay, so there was no kind. So it's about sort of working out how do we set limits for our kids in a way that holds their perspective Mm. while 
still being authentic and saying this does or doesn't work for me, mm-hmm. that's really important. And they're the two biggest things. Okay. What are some ways we can help them cope when they're faced with external influences again that maybe aren't great? I think if we can work the sense of in our family, in our family, this is how we do it. Mm. And it's totally okay for people to do things differently from a very young age. It can make things much easier. So that might mean that we don't lie Mm -hmm. (laughs) or white lie ourselves and say, this wine is spicy. Mm -hmm. Instead, we just say, look, it's a grown-up drink. And so it's just not for you, Mm. my little friend. That is really important. So that ability to hold a boundary or that ability to say, I know that at your friend's house, they can jump on the couch. Now at our house, that's not how I want you to use our couch. It Mm. doesn't work for me Mm. to have you jumping on our couch. So my answer is no to that. And Mm. I can understand if you're disappointed, Mm. but we can jump on the trampoline. So we can actually hold from a very young age that things can work differently in other homes or within other different families because that works for them. Yep. And this is what works for us. And there's such freedom in that because as your children start to, even from preschooler age, they'll be saying, but in other people's houses, they get to do this. Yep. And there's such- They get to um, stay up later. Absolutely. And there's always going to be differences. And Mm. if we can just really own that and say, oh, I can really understand. You might be thinking that sounds so good. Mm. But in our house, this is what works for me. And this is what we're going to do. And we can always keep talking about it. But making sure that it's okay to have things be different is important because eventually the asks get so much bigger and more challenging as they get older. So you better set that boundary early. And I guess they have then an expectation of this is what mum and dad or the primary caregiver expects. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go back to media, which is very prevalent. As you know, lots of kids have tablets. So I wish my son liked his iPad more, to be honest, but he doesn't, which is a good thing. But, you know, he'll get into it. Because he's too busy playing with Batman. That's right, <laughs> which is a great for his imagination. But how do we manage the influences of media, knowing that it's part of our world? How do we manage that? I think we've got to make sure that there's a really open and consistent conversation happening around there's nothing you can't tell me. If you see anything ever that you find scary or you think, what was that? Or you Mm. think, I don't think I should have seen that. Come and tell me and show me. I really want to know. I think that's the biggest thing because kids' media is part of their world. And even if we're, you know, living in a house where you've got no screens, which I don't know if that exists. But all the parental controls, they're smart enough to work it out these days. Oh, they can. It's incredible. Mm. So you can't get around that. So you've got to have your rules. I think as parents, we get to control the devices. The biggest thing we've done in our house is we don't give kids their own devices. We own all the devices Mm. and they kind of get to use them. It's a bit of a privilege, not a right. And so then we control where they get used, when they get used, what gets consumed, Mm. you know, so there's rules around phones in rooms, around the fact that we want our kids within our eyesight, preferably, where they are consuming media. Yeah. And then we just keep reiterating. And I think you've got to do it over and over and over again because you think you've covered something off. Like, mm. I, you know, if you see anything and you feel uncomfortable, come to me. Mm. But we know that many children get exposed to adult content by age 10. Mm. So it's so much younger. And so the other thing we can do is make sure that we're getting in first. So we talk to our kids about anything we want them to know before they're Googling yeah, sure. it. And, and I guess searching. as they mature, yeah, they watch more mature things, but there still might be things they don't understand or that is scary. Completely. So you can't just have that conversation once at four and hope that they remember that. That's right. Mm. But you want to keep going back 
back to it and saying, you know, if you ever do see anything uncomfortable, it's so important to come to me and let me know so that I can help you with it because I'll always help you and there's nothing that you will have seen or done or looked at Mm, that would have us not able to step in and help you and be on your team. Yeah. The biggest point of all is that the biggest influence in those younger years is us. Mm -hmm. So it's about really knowing that those first five years or the first thousand days, we have the most incredible opportunity to influence our kids in the way we show up in relationship with them. And so no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) There's still time. But being authentic in that. And it is that balance of being the best we can be and saying sorry when we get it wrong and kind of constantly reflecting and knowing that that's when we're bedding down everything around how they'll make decisions around all those external influences as they grow. Well, that brings us to the end of this season of How to Build a Human. We've had such a blast learning all about our little kids' wonderful brains and how to help them become the best version of themselves. What do you hope people take away from this season, Jen? I think the biggest thing would be that you don't need to get it right all the time, that nobody's doing it perfectly and the good news is kids do not need perfect parents. So anyone who's been listening to this podcast and trying to implement things is doing an incredible job because just the fact that you're thinking about it and reflecting shows how much you love your kids. And I would say whenever you feel lost, if you could just start with connection and give yourself loads of compassion because it's hard raising little humans. We don't always know what we're doing, but if we start with connection, it will certainly get us off to the right start. Yep. Every time I've had a little bump in the road over the last few weeks, I've had your voice in my head saying connection, connection, (laughs) connection. And if you can boil it back down to that, you can go from there. For sure. Thank you so much for listening. If you've loved the show, make sure you share it with your friends and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.